There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself, not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing Woodstock 99. Here's what you need to know. In summer of 1969, a three-day music festival in upstate New York would go down in history as a defining moment of its era, billed as an Aquarian exposition and three days of peace and music. Woodstock was the brainchild of a man named Michael Lang and considered a massive success with over 400,000 attendees. In celebration of the festival's 25th anniversary, Lang reunited with some of his original business partners to organize Woodstock 94, which drew more than 300,000 people to Saugerties, New York, for another relatively successful event. 
Five years later, a third edition of the iconic festival was planned for three days in July at the decommissioned Griffiths Air Force Base in Rome, New York. But this traditionally peace-promoting concert turned out to be anything but peaceful. How many people here ever woke up one morning and just decided it wasn't one of those days and you're going to break some shit? To start, the festival coincided with an oppressive heat wave, and with little shade from the sun, concertgoers were quick to lose patience with long lines and overpriced water and food, realizing that the Woodstock brand had been used to fleece them. After all, they'd already paid a hefty $150 per ticket to see the likes of James Brown, Korn, Alanis Morissette, Megadeth, Sheryl Crow, Rage Against the Machine, Dave Matthews Band, Ice Cube, and many more headliners. Frustrations grew day by day as garbage and plastic water bottles piled up, portable toilets became unusable, and large mud pits were forming due to vandalized water fountains. During his set, Kid Rock sensed the crowd's frustration and fanned the flames, telling them, quote, Now, when we kick this beat in for the last time, I want to see every possible thing flying in the effing air but nothing that can hurt each other. Plastic water bottles, let's have some fucking fun. By Saturday, things were spiraling out of control. Much like Kid Rock, Fred Durst stoked more violence during Limp Bizkit's set, causing property damage and several injuries in the mosh pit. Even worse, there were multiple reports, including eyewitness accounts, of sexual assault during that chaotic set and throughout the weekend. Medical staff was completely overwhelmed, and by the end of that night, the security team was two, and essentially abandoned the campgrounds in order to preserve their own safety. The authorities had completely lost control. The situation grew more dire on Sunday, the last day of the festival, when an anti-violence group called PAX handed out thousands of candles to the concert goers. The intention was to light the candles during the Red Hot Chili Peppers' performance of their song, Under the Bridge. But the plan backfired dramatically when people used them to start small fires. Small bonfires at first grew into out-of-control blazes. Soon, the concert goers were out of control, too. screaming, crying, screaming people's names, looking for people. They didn't know where to go, who to look for. Very confused, very chaotic. By the time the Red Hot Chili Peppers closed the festival with what should have been a candlelit tribute to Jimi Hendrix, there were several bonfires scattered around the stage, and a production tower was in flames. A tragically fitting landscape for the Chili Peppers cover of Hendrix's song, Fire. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. Over the course of the three-day festival, 44 people were arrested. 1,200 people were treated by on-site medical staff. Four cases of rape were initially reported by the New York State Police, though more were said to have gone unreported. Millions of dollars of damage was done to the property and equipment. Three people also died in connection with the festival. 24-year-old David G. DeRosia 
died from hypothermia after being taken directly from Woodstock to the hospital. A 44-year-old man died from cardiac arrest at a Woodstock campsite on the first night of the festival. And Tara K. Weaver was hit by a car while walking along the road near South New Berlin, about 55 miles from the concert site. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Good morning, Rebecca. Hello, Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello. And our very special guest today is Tony Thaxton. Hi, Tony. Hello. Thanks for having me. Tony is a musician and a podcaster. And Tony, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast, Bizarre Albums, and your band's Motion City soundtrack and Don't Stop or We'll Die. Uh, Sure. Well, first off, uh, my podcast, Bizarre Albums, is a uh, weekly show. comes out every Tuesday. They're just short 15, 20-minute episodes. And every week, I uh, do a ton of research and then try and tell the story. I'm never making fun of these records. I'm literally just fascinated by this type of thing and try to tell the story of them. Uh, It's always about records that were put out by like actors or athletes or fictional characters or sometimes, uh, you know, like a band will just suddenly go in this crazy different direction that no one expected them to go in. (laughs) So I just kind of, uh, yeah, go into those records and talk about those. Um, So that is that. That's every Tuesday, like I said. And um, and yeah, I'm the drummer of the band Motion City Soundtrack. uh, And we are supposed to be going on tour in 2022 again. So Fingers crossed. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Everything is planned and set to go, but uh, I'm a little nervous if I'm being honest. Uh, um, I understand. Yeah. Um, But hopefully, because I need it, need it real bad. And then I <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you share a mouth instrument? Like, do you guys share clarinets or like harmonicas? Because that would you need an added layer of sort of like protection around that due to COVID. I think. Okay, I'll see if I can pitch sharing mouth instruments with the rest of the band. <laughs> you know, it's good to have those antibodies. You know, that's I, I think point. that's for extra protection. <laughs> yes, yes. Tony, we like to start our show off by asking our guests. What is something that is recently alarming you? What's keeping you up at night? Oh, boy. Uh, what isn't these days, I guess? You know, I mean, <laughs> the, the obvious answer is the pandemic. Delta. Yeah, Delta mm-hmm. specifically. Oh. Uh, in fact, I actually got a little bit nervous yesterday that maybe I had it. I felt a little... Uh, my chest was feeling a little tight yesterday, and I knew oh, that that could be no. a symptom... And so I was like, oh, just let me just take my temperature. And I had a, a little bit. It was a little high. What are we oh, working Tony, with? Tony, you're was freaking it? out. You're freaking me out it here. Was, it was like 99, <laughs> 99.5 was the highest that I saw it. Uh, it's, it's not that bad. It's, it's not, not yet. But I, I usually tend to go, I usually tend to run a little low. So that's why it concerns <laughs> me more. Uh, and I was actually supposed to have a rehearsal last night um, with another band I'm doing a show with soon. And uh, I had to, you know, be honest with them. I'm like, I'm sure I'm fine, but just letting you guys know. And I told them what was going on. And so, uh, yeah, I, I feel bad because I have a show in one week and I had oh. to bail on, on rehearsal last night after the day before asking if we could move the rehearsal back a day. Oh. And, uh, and then I canceled again. Oh, well, you know, finger, fingers double crossed that everything is fine. And yeah, sometimes, 
I, I, I start feeling all of the symptoms of COVID when I think I have it. Yeah. Well, we have this heightened awareness now. I was in a movie theater last night, uh, yesterday. I went to see Ooh. Pig. I went to see that movie, the Nicolas Cage movie, Pig, by myself, middle of the day, and there was sort of scattered <laughs> attendance, but I had a call. I had a tickle in my throat. Oh, no. And I was like, I can't just start coughing right mm-hmm. now because everyone's going to freak out. So I kind of held it in, and I was just like, all right, one big cough. Let's clear out the throat. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and I did. I did like one big cough, and I felt the lady to like at the end of my aisle sort of notice, you know, just sort mm-hmm. of clock it. But luckily, I didn't have any more tickles, so I kind of took care of it. But. <laughs> yeah, coughing but yeah. in public, can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. No. no. Um, so we're all sensitive people and reasonable <laughs> Reasonable folk. Where are you going with this? Um, and I feel like that's the perfect transition mm. into talking about Woodstock. Peace and love. <laughs> I'm known for my transitions, Tony. Um, so, first of all, Woodstock 99, what a shit show. Am I right? Yeah. I, and I, I have known it was since the night that everything got so bad, but I did not realize quite the extent until i watched the uh, the documentary recently mm-hmm. right yeah were you watching yeah. uh, as it was happening uh bits and pieces i think you know I, I i if i remember i remember definitely watching a lot of the 94 one but the 99 one i think maybe i i think they were still like showing bits and pieces on mtv well yeah because they showed yeah. that in the documentary um and yeah so i think i was you know catching little pieces here and there but uh i wouldn't say watching it Exactly. First of all, the lineup, other than like probably Jewel and Alanis Morissette, I probably wouldn't have been like super attracted to it, which was one of the uh, things while I was watching the documentary where I was like, what a lineup. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Should I I go through a couple of the... uh... Uh, sure. Give us hit hit us with it. I mean, other than Cheryl Crow, ooh, I love Cheryl Crow. So the oh, three yeah, girls, <laughs> I like yeah, the, the three women, the three girls, exactly. <laughs> they threw us a bone. Don't worry, they had a little something for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> they had one female artist per day. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. A, that was a funny detail in the movie. Are you going to hit us with the lineup? I can give you some okay. if you want me to. Okay. James Brown, Buck Cherry Bush, The Chemical Brothers, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars, Collective Soul, Elvis Costello, Counting Crows, Creed, Cheryl Crow. So far, not bad. Creed. Like, I'm shocked. I'm Creed Elvis Costello, George Clinton. Okay, going on. DMX, Everclear, Everlast. Everclear, Everlast. Didn't... I never made that... I, Fatboy Slim, <laughs> Godsmack. <laughs> Is Fatboy Slim Moby? Those are two different no, guys. two different guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God Tony's here. <laughs> uh, D- DMB, Megadeth, Metallica, Willie Nelson. I'm sort of skimming now. Rage Against the Machine. Anyway, you know, music is, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, subjective, right? So mm-hmm. it's all about what you're into. But mm-hmm. I guess this year it was more uh, more hard rock and Hard edgier, edgier than normal, maybe. Yes, edgier. What they call new new metal, as they were uh, speaking about. Maybe Tony, you can speak to new metal. <laughs> For the love of God, please help. I don't know that that sentence has ever been said to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in what way? I mean, just it was yeah, late late nineties. I think uh, bands were starting to. Uh, 
get a very not that there hadn't been aggressive bands before but the aggression definitely went up several notches and i think a lot of these bands too were like uh putting some hip-hop elements in there too mm. as, they, as i think it was dave holmes yeah. in, the, in the movie points out of like everybody had a dj suddenly that you never really mm. heard doing anything <laughs> but they were there um yeah it was uh, a, a weird time in music but the big plus of Woodstock 99, I think, if we could find a positive, it was finally a time we could see James Brown and Corn on the same bill. <laughs> right. Because everyone's finally. wanted that forever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so should I start by just throwing new metal up on the board just to kick us off? Sure. I, I was going to start by putting up the artists, just all of those artists all in, of in general. Uh, Even Jewel and Cheryl Crow, <laughs> all the male artists. No, people are going to get mad. They're going to get mad. But in all fairness, they w- I don't think they're to blame, the, the female okay. artists. No. But whatever. So this is according to the Daily Beast. Limp Biscuit's Fred Durst was the embodiment of late 90s aggro dude bro ugliness. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just quickly going to put that up on the board because that is amazing. <laughs> At his band's riot-instigating performance at Woodstock 99, the second revitalization of the festival brand by co-founder Michael Lang and producer John Schur, following Woodstock 94, took the brunt of the blame for the event's devolution into violent, misogynistic bedlam. This is according to Break Stuff, the ringer by Stephen Hayden, Hayden, uh, here's the thing. Blaming the bands for all the rioting, looting, and assaults, it's a little too easy and reductive. And for the people who organized Woodstock 99, it's very convenient. Also, the riots didn't actually happen after Limp Biscuit played. The riots occurred on Sunday, the festival's final day, around the time that the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Megadeth performed. Limp Biscuit played on Saturday night. It's true that there were other bad things that occurred on Saturday night, but the fires, the looting of vendors, and the exploding refrigeration truck, that all occurred on Sunday. Durst and guitarist Wes Borland quoted are quoted as saying to watch the news reports about the mashup of our day and the next day where the fires were watching them cut footage of the fires cutting that into our set at the same time was just like they were just like let's make this worse Borland said they found an opportunity to point a finger Fred Durst said I think they found a good spin on it Mm. So an accusation and perhaps uh, a defense <laughs> all in one category. I'm just putting it up there, guys, because I know that if we don't, people are going to be like freaking out. Well, just to compare to 94, I'm just sort of going over some of the bands that were invited in 94, uh, Woodstock 94. Uh, you had Joe Cocker, Bob Dylan. You had the Chili Peppers, Peter Gabriel. You had Nine Inch Nails, mm. but you also had ABBA. Oh! Um, <laughs> Hello, 94. Sign I'm me listening. <laughs> Allman Brothers Band, Arrested Development. Um, so uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So there was sort of a touch of the original Woodstock in here, I think, mm-hmm. with Dylan and with um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But I, I don't know that I see that in 99. So maybe there's something about sort of departure Woodstock, you know, Woodstock departing from its original roots or something. Yeah, it de- it definitely seems, and I, again, I think they touch on this in the documentary uh, that that uh, you know the the '94 one went 
well, and it had some elements of the original one there by having some of those ori- bands that were at the original one playing, and then you know adding in some new bands as well, and it made it kind of made sense. Whereas this one, yeah, it was just like, oh, that one in '94 went really well. Now we can make some some money again. Let's do it again five years later. And uh, yeah, they didn't really have many of those classic bands on, you know, a, a hint here and there. And uh, I know, and again, I keep referencing the documentary, but it's very new and that's probably the reason this came up, I guess. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I think one of the closest things they did was Creed had uh, Robbie Krieger of the Doors come and play a song <laughs> with them. And they touch, and, and you know, the crowd didn't care because it was these, you know. <laughs> 18 to 20 year old white dudes that didn't care about a guy from the doors. But the important part about that for me, and this is actually something I'd been obsessed with for years. They show a quick shot of him, but they don't, I mean, they don't talk about this in the documentary, but it's what's important to me is Mm -hmm. that Robbie Krieger goes on stage, Woodstock 99, you know, what is it? 300,000 people or whatever it was. And he's wearing yellow pants and an Undertaker t-shirt. The Undertaker, the uh, wrestler? The wrestler? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the price of admission. Right? Right there. <laughs> it just blew my mind when I saw how, it, and I have been obsessed with that for 20 how years do you re- How do you read into that, Tony? Do you think somebody gave it to him to like fit in? <laughs> right, like, right before he went on stage? Here, wear this. <laughs> they'll, they'll think you're cool, or do you think he's like an Undertaker fan, or is it just like that you don't even know? Man, I don't know, and that's what I want. I hope that HBO makes a documentary just about this now, because that's the story I want. Yes, maybe you should do an investigative podcast. (laughs) I was going to suggest that as well, Amanda. um, If someone wants to give me a budget to tackle that, I'm all for it. (laughs) We can talk. Um, May I interject and just uh, suggest that we add Fred Durst specifically to the book? Okay. As sure. well, because uh, he iconically sort of really amped up the crowd, and the he was also the person who the organizers tried to blame, which I sure. think is very interesting. Yes, let's let's put Fred Durst up on the board for now. Everyone, calm down. Um, <laughs> I can just hear people like throwing their phones. <laughs> Fred Durst. Uh, okay, uh, media. Let, let's also put the media up there. Uh, MTV specifically um, for for sensationalizing the event. Throughout the years, producer John Schur has maintained that MTV is greatly at fault for sensationalizing the few unfortunate events amidst an overall positive festival. <laughs> this is again according mm. to Break Stuff. Um, MTV's Kurt Lauder saw an opportunity to sensationalize it, and there were unquestionably a couple of hairy moments. John Schur says the first hairy moment uh, was on Saturday. We're on Saturday, not on Sunday, when Lip- Limp Biscuit and their moron leader, singer, moron lead singer, really tried to cause trouble, badly tried to cause trouble. And what that certainly was, and while that certainly was newsworthy, again, nobody got hurt, or at least not very many people got hurt. And he spent from, the, from that time through Sunday trying to sensationalize that, getting headlines, then being there with cameras and being able to pick and choose what they wanted to put on the air. However, 
Then MTV host Dave Holm denies that the music channel had a vendetta against the festival. Quote, I was there and it was pretty ugly, he says. I think that what we did was report on what was going on pretty accurately. I don't think anybody really had any interests in shitting on it before it happened or while it was happening or even after it. It was just dangerous and unsafe and poorly planned. Perhaps we uh, should put shitty festivals up on the board. Uh, are there any not shitty festivals? <laughs> Good question, Amanda. And I don't want to make things personal. Um, oh. I don't. I don't. Yes, you do. She does. Look how bad she wants to. <laughs> but I really don't like music festivals. I know. More phones are being thrown in the air. I don't like music festivals. And I'm not trying to make this like a fashion industry thing as well. But I'm thinking we can, send, you know, at least put music festivals up on the board. Yeah. Even Lilith Fair? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> Even I, Lilith Fair. <laughs> and I will say, as a, as a musician that has played a lot of music festivals, uh-huh. it, I, you know, it's a different experience playing than going to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been at festivals playing them and thought to myself, I can't imagine wanting to come to this. <laughs> I feel and, so vindicated. Thank and, you, Tony. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean that as an insult to people that do like it, if that's your thing. God bless you, because you've helped me in my career and everything, especially too. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just it, they're not for me. Like, it's, and that's not against the band's playing. You know, if, if there's a band I really like and they're coming to town, I might get excited. And then if I see it's a festival, I'm like, oh, and then I don't want to go. Like, that's not the setting I want to see somebody that I really like in. It's just miserable I, all around. They're always in the summertime. It's super hot and gross. And yeah. And they're hard to get to. And you have to walk really far to get water. And then you have to go to the uh, well, bullpen, uh, the pen of, of alcohol t- if you want to have a drink. <laughs> but then you have to miss the show. You know, you're gonna either going to have a drink or miss the show. And I'm... I'm not into drugs, so what you have to do when you like when you, <laughs> you have know? to do when you're when you're at a music festival is you sort of you relinquish a lot of control over the elements. What you're basically doing is you're trusting that these organizers are going to take care of you in a lot of different ways. Like yeah. how oh, yeah. far you have to walk, how much you're gonna have to pay for your basic needs, where you have to go to the bathroom and all that. Yeah. And and and, and how do you uh, account for that kind of thing? Or like how do you vet for that kind of thing? It's like I don't know. You have to just go and experience it yourself. And then, you know, good, bad, indifferent, you go back or don't the next year. But otherwise, like if you're opting into a music festival, I've been to a couple music festivals, mm-hmm. but um, y- it's just a lot of trust, a little too much tr- <laughs> trust in well, the organizers. And Rebecca, I know you want to talk about the organizers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know you were thinking okay. if, if only I could have got my hands on Woodstock 99. <laughs> the logistics planning. I want, I, I, I Where was I? They should have called. Because, first of all, this is according to the Rolling Stones, with temperatures hovering. This is another thing that played into it, which you can't plan. But if you're somebody like me who thinks about things ahead of time, like you can plan a little bit better for this kind of thing. You know it's going to be in the summer. You know that temperatures are going to be high because that's what happens in the summer. It gets hot, right? How do you plan for it? Give everybody an extra pair of sunglasses? I don't know, more shade? More shade, yeah. Shaded areas. They shaded were areas. They were hiding underneath water, the Water trucks. stations that weren't used as 
bathrooms. With temperatures hovering from the high 80s to, in some accounts, hitting the hundreds, water became a necessity. Unfortunately, most festival goers didn't heed the warning to bring an adequate supply themselves. When people went to purchase water, they were met with a $4 price tag per bottle. There were some free fountains, but the lines to those often resembled a Disneyland ride. Some were smashed in frustration, causing minor flooding in the areas. The situation was so bad that after the festival, lawyers for some festival goers threatened to sue organizers for negligence. Whoa. This is, uh, again, okay, and then the decision for where it was... It, 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 the festival took place. Uh, much of the Griffiths Air Force Base was tarmac and concrete, mm. materials that sun rays just bounce off of. On top of that, there was a 1.5-mile walk between the festival's two main stages, so festival goers had to trek across these boiling uh, run roads runways in upper 80s weather the baltimore sun reported that halfway through the weekend more than 700 had been treated for heat exhaustion and dehydration deactivated hangars provided some of the only shade so huge crowds gathered at the emerging artist stage and had to endure sets by artists like oh this is endure sets uh by artists like (laughs) bijou phillips simply to escape the sun Slam on Bijou Phillips. <laughs> Did I hear you right? Did you say that the two main stages were a mile and a half apart? Yes, correct. That is insane. Like that, any festival I've played or been to, I feel like even when it's giant stages, they're just side by side. The two main stages, and it's back and forth. One as soon as one band stops, next band starts on the other stage. So that's, that's smart. Yeah, like a mile and a half. That's insane. That that'll take you thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're walking at a leisurely pace. Yeah, it's probably more too because you're fighting your way through all these people and everything. Uh, and, true. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're stopping to pee at one of the porta potties. Okay, can we nope. talk about? <laughs> nope. Exactly. Matt is holding it for three days. I'm I'm wearing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there there's footage of people in mud in front of these porta potties that, of course, were probably infested with feces, mm-hmm. right? Um, but here's also my thinking: what what kind of person thinks it's a good idea to roll around in mud right outside of a porta potty? <laughs> 18 to 24 year old white guys in 1999. Yeah. Yeah. This is why they need, we need diversity in our lives because if I'm there with some guy who's like, Ooh, I kind of want to roll in that mud. I'm like, Whoa, 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 buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Just a sec. This is why we need women. This is is actually at the core of the diversity issue is, is telling white men where to go to the bathroom (laughs) or don't or jump around in mud. Well, there definitely were not enough women at Woodstock 99. I think there was a little bit of an imbalance as we saw in that documentary. There were like sexual assaults that happened there. uh, And it was, yeah, it seemed like a very scary place to be as a girl. I I would have run. I would have been so scared. And not to mention all those mosh pits. Like my alarmist antennas, this is a nightmare. (laughs) Yes. This is, and as a very short woman, like I'm, I'm, (laughs) yeah, because you would have had to be one of those girls up on someone's shoulders. 
to see the show. And, we and then saw what happened to those. Yeah, they were getting groped <sighs> left and right. And then the uh, we have to put up the, the specific planners, though, because yes. they were also kind of like slut shaming. Yep. It was they were really their perspective was all sorts of messed up. Absolutely. Let's put John Schur and Michael Lang up on the board. Yeah, John this Schur is, in particular. Like, he comes off real shitty in that documentary. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, this is the... Um, so, essentially, he... He okay. I'll, I'll read this. This is from Inside Hook in Woodstock '99. Peace, love, and rage. A new documentary on HBO, which we've been talking about. Uh, festival producer John Sher offers an absolutely awful on-camera assessment of the assaults that took place at the show, as noted by Rob Sheffield at Rolling Stone. "Quote: There's no question that a few a few incidents took place," says Sher. "But if you go back in the records of the police and state police and stuff, we're not talking about a hundred or even fifty. We're talking about ten. I am critical of the hundreds of women that were walking around with no clothes on and expecting not and expecting not to be touched. Oh no! Oh no! God forbid." <sighs> They shouldn't have been touched, and I condemn it, but you know, I think that women that were running around naked, you know, or at least partially, are to blame for that. Yeah, because everyone knows when you go and visit like a nudist beach in in Spain, all it is is groping, and groping is just accepted. It's like, this is so stupid and American and sort of like, what kind of idiot says something like that? I don't understand. Uh, John, sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just to time check, everyone, um, we're coming up on 30 minutes. So anything else we want to get up on the board, let's go. Yikes. The Peace Patrol. These were the guys who were supposed to be the security for the the festival. uh, There's this guy, Jake Hafner, who was 23 at the time and working a retail job in Syracuse. And a friend was like, hey, you want to, you know, be a security guard for for Woodstock? So he he goes and he takes this training class where he's supposed to take a test and become a licensed security guard in in, in New York. And he, he talks about this all being like a real sham. He says, quote, in the class I was in, the instructor basically spent the last hour, maybe two hours going through the test question by question and reading the question to us and us giving the answer or talking ourselves to the cor- uh, to the correct answer, he recalls. And then at the end of that, he handed out the test. We took it. Basically, if you could spell your name and you were semi-coherent, you got a job working security at Woodstock. So, it could have been any of us. Licensed professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the test I took to become the fact checker for the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on top of that, and... Uh, I believe they said in the documentary that a lot of those people that were going to be working security just like checked in, got their pass, and then just used the pass to get in and then didn't actually work security. Yes. Smart. Yeah. I mean, kind of, yeah. But, <laughs> it's like, how much is a pass? Yeah. But like, no, absolutely no security happening at this festival. Put them up on the board. Because uh, honestly, the, it does make me upset. It's, you signed up for a job. I get it. It's smart and you're getting away with one. But like, you're setting up, you're, you're signing, what, what, what kind of person can sleep at night knowing that, <laughs> that you just... You were your job was to protect the people at the festival, and you just walked away, and you just and and bad things did happen because you didn't yeah. do your job. So mm. put those guys up on the board, guys, and I'm assuming girls up on the board. I wonder. 
Sorry. I really wonder, but we'll, I'll put the Peace Patrol. Just the Peace got Patrol, yeah, non-gendered yeah. Peace Patrol. I, I feel like I can hear uh, Clayton uh, uh, screaming from his his house far away saying, put capitalism up on the board. Mm. Oh, yes. I feel like I can hear it. Th- this was an aspect to to Woodstock. They were trying to make money. It, it's how, how, how much of a big buck can you make? Not, not just that, but like when it came to supplies, food, water, you know, everything was overpriced. Greed. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, like I said earlier, I think that's the only reason this really happened, you know? Because mm. again, mm. The, the, the 94 one uh, made a little bit of sense. It was the first time they'd done it, you know, since 1969, and it was like an anniversary. So that one, sure. But then to do it again five years later after not doing it for 25 years or whatever it was it's just it was very i think they again in the documentary i think they say like after 94 they're like well well, let's do it again in five years right just immediately because they're like yeah we made a bunch of money and yeah and i think it's like you know we have john share and michael lang up on the board maybe i should separate them because john sure was like the actual on the ground organizer and michael lang was like Woodstock was his brainchild, you know, so he comes across like he really believes in this like peace, love and rock and roll manifesto that the original Woodstock laid out. Um, But at the same time, he's maybe like trying a little bit too hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction, Amanda. And while like sleazeball sure uh, is up on the board, we should also pinpoint this like forcing of a baby boomer idealism that oh. is happening uh, on the other end. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So he 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 even state Michael Lang states in the documentary that he and Sure sought to give the young adult generation something which felt contemporary, and for better or worse, that's what contemporary was. For wor- worse, I'd say. <laughs> for worse. <laughs> They should have just let Jewel play the whole time. <laughs> well, that's Lilith Fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and too, uh, uh, speaking to the money, uh, and I forget if it's both of the organizers or if it was uh, just one of them that tried to do this, but they were going to try and do one in 2019 again. After oh, all yeah. of this was so bad, uh, they're like, yeah, maybe we'll do it again. And I forget why it fell, it fell apart for some reason. It didn't actually happen. But, like, you really wanted to try and do this again after the Thank reputation God. it has now? Yeah. Hmm. No. No, buddy. We can't not put 90s anger and aggression and perhaps mm. these white guys, these white, fest- <laughs> these white guy festival goers. Okay. Okay. I mean, late. It's like late '90s. Can we specify? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because early '90s was not quite the same vibe, right? It was a little bit more grunge, right? For sure. So this late '90s, I think, and then yeah, which I think is really interesting to talk about. It's like post Columbine, mm-hmm. um, the energy shifted. This is from the Daily Beast, and I, I think this will help us jump into the conversation a dangerous malaise in america at the turn of the millennium director garrett price contends was the byproduct of numerous factors fears of y2k the bill clinton monica Lewinsky scandal the columbine school shooting massacre which had taken place three months before the festival started 
and the rise of trash media and the ensuing coarsening of American culture. Girls mm-hmm. Gone Wild and magazines like Maxim and FHM get lamb- lambasted here. It was an era, the film contends, that was rampant with anger and sexist objectification, having already replaced the progressive spirit of the early 90s grunge movement with a general neanderthal crudeness Mm. yeah and the and the the documentary went into this it was pretty interesting thinking about um early 90s and specifically um singling out nirvana as more progressive Mm -hmm. than you know sort of things that came before it and sort of an opportunity to sort of i don't know like reach back and harken back to progressive and inclusive music of the of the 60s and I never thought about that, but it was it struck me as really true. I mean, um, Kurt Cobain, you know, um, you know, and and his you know cross dressing and 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 sort of just being sort of this. His music was hard, but his sort of like he was thoughtful and and mm-hmm. he was also like uh, I don't know. He sort of rep- I guess he represented uh, in hindsight, although it, it was lost on me at the time. I was so young, but he represented that sort of progressive spirit. I know. Same thing. I had never thought about it that way. And then until they kind of pointed this out, uh, it, yeah, it made total sense. Uh, and I never, uh, is same thing. I don't, I don't, we're, I assume we're like similar ish age maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, same thing. Like I, I remember that being a big deal when, when Kurt Cobain killed himself, but, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I think at the time I didn't quite realize maybe the, uh, how much of a significance it really did have. Like at the time I just mm. thought of it as like, Oh, he's the singer of this band that I like mm-hmm. and tons of other people like. And so that's a bummer, but there, yeah, there really did seem to be more to it than that. I'll put it up on the board. And I actually think that could be a whole episode. Oh, yeah. Kurt Cobain, the death. Yeah. Of that yeah. Would, it'd be interesting. Um, I know we have to start, uh, crossing things off the board. Um, so before we get to that, I just want to add that our listener suggestions and this is coming. There's two of them. This is, these aren't the J's you're looking for at. These aren't the J's you're looking for. And they suggest we put dirty hippies in their hula hoops. (laughs) (laughs) That's So someone explain that to Tony. uh, How do you explain that? Well, we were talking about, I think Manson, the Manson murders or something. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I I just, that's a quote from something I said, which was, uh, I don't even know what that was in reference to. You thought that... Hula hoops and, no, and the sixties. The hula hips. No. Yeah, yeah. You you <laughs> missed the hula hips. He said the hula hips. <laughs> Chris thought that all hippies loved the hula. Hoops. Yes, and he, he confused like the hula hoop era with the sixties. The. <laughs> but that's okay. okay. So what's yeah? What's the next? I I think that's interesting because that kind of harkens back to the original Woodstock, right? Um, and then what's the second listener suggestion? The second listener suggestion comes from at nanobot88. And they suggest that we, we give shitty bands the slap. And we, uh, Nixon, we send Nixon to jail. Nixon oh, for okay. contributing to the destruction of American innocence that made Woodstock 69 possible. Send him to jail. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then we'll, we'll start knocking things off the list. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, who's to blame for Woodstock 99? New metal. The artists. Agro dude bro. Ugliness. <laughs> Fred Durst. The media and MTV. Shitty festivals, even Lilith Fair. Poor planning, location, John Schur, Michael Lang, the Peace Patrol, capitalism and greed, forcing of baby boomer idealism, late 90s anger and aggression and perhaps the white guy festival goers, death of Kurt <laughs> Cobain, dirty hippies in their hula hoops, or Dick Nixon. Process of elimination starts now. Mm. What are we going to take off? <laughs> I guess we could fold the dirty hippies and their hula hoops into forcing of baby boomer idealism. That goes perfectly. Mm -hmm. Wraps right in there. You know who gets away scot-free here? Not to add more, but we have the media and MTV, but I think that was in regard to uh, how they were reporting on Woodstock 99. But we, we also should look at MTV for popularizing this music. Not to say that they're to blame for Fred Durst, but aren't they? Kind of, right, Tony? Y- yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, def- yeah, I mean, they were definitely huge on MTV in that era. Um, I don't know. It's tough to say because I, I feel like, uh, yes, well, it was definitely aggressive music. I don't know. Can you, like, start playing bands like that? And, uh, I mean, are you thinking, like, oh, this is going to end badly? You know, are you just, mm. I feel like, oh, we're putting this music on and it's, it's yeah. a good reaction. So we're sticking with it. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's, I don't know. That's kind of how I think of it. Well, it could, could also play into the capitalism and greed because you're, yeah. you know, MTV yeah. was, was, I think they started mm. out more as a curator of music, right? Yeah. And, and as it got more popular, they were like, okay, well, the wheels are off. Like, let's just go with, let's just 
feed the masses whatever whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And I actually would say either way, we could take the media and MTV off because I don't personally agree with this idea that they sensationalize. Me neither. I saw the footage of those people rolling in shit outside the outhouses. <laughs> exactly. That was, not, that was bad. Yeah. Um, and I also think that we can take these artists out uh, of the mix because I... I just think it's so easy to blame the artist and it's so unfair. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Fred Durst said, give me something to break in his song. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but uh, no, I, I agree. I, I think they, they do get a lot of the blame. I don't, I certainly don't think that they, most of them didn't seem to do anything to try and, uh, pull back Calm on things. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They do like show that clip of the offspring, the singer of the offspring uh, yeah. telling the crowd to stop groping women and stuff, which, you know, that was nice to see. Um, yeah. Maybe we could give him the big clap. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's just like, Oh, there's a lot of groping out there. Oh, well, okay. Our next set. Um, I'm just like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Well, he did call it out. You're, I feel like you're underselling a little bit. You're talking, we're talking about, do you remember the part with the guy with the spiked blonde hair, that guy from the offspring? Yes, yeah. I know what we're talking about, but I'm just saying, like, if I'm doing a concert and I see a bunch of women being groped, I'm just like, okay, we're going to hold a beat because there's a lot of groping going on. Didn't go far enough. <laughs> yeah, I say arrest those yeah, men. Yeah, whoa, whoa, peace whoa. Patrol. I saw that guy grab peace her patr- boob. Hey, peace patrol. <laughs> like, Keep the peace. Okay, so... What are we going to do about the Peace Patrol? Because my instinct is they get wrapped up into either poor planning or the producers. I was thinking the exact same thing. Okay. I was going to put yeah. them in with the producers. I, yeah. I feel like I, all of that could kind of go together. Poor planning, producers. Poor planning. And, yeah. And the location goes into the producers as well. I, I think so, too. So, okay. So I'm knocking those poor planning and the location are getting wrapped up into John Schur and Michael Lang. Yeah. And, and for the record, New Metal is still up on the board. Just because I don't like it. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to continue that thought, but no, you just you just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Although we, how about we wrap aggro dude bro ugliness into late nineties anger? I think that makes okay. sense. Yeah, yeah. And capitalism and greed. Does that go into the the producers, or is that separate? Is that just something that's floating around? Is that in the the air we breathe? I think, yes, that it is in the air we breathe, but I also <laughs> think that it's a big part, again, it's a big reason why this even happened. So I, I think that mm. that does go with the producers. Mm. And speaking of Kurt Cobain, there's this clip on YouTube of him seeing a guy groping a woman in the crowd, and he, he stops the he show. He stops the show. Runs up to the guy and points to the guy, and he's like, this guy right here, like, this guy, fuck this guy, and, like, you know, get your wow. hands off her, and... This is stuff. this is we needed Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. at this festival. Yeah. His, yes, we did. Yes, we did. So should I wrap up capitalism and greed into the producers? I think yes. so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. And we can also uh, do for like the forcing of baby boomer idealism that can be wrapped up to the producers as well. Just for the for the. Okay, fine. We can take new metal off. What do we think? <laughs> okay. I, I, it's just too. It's too aggro. I'm sorry. It, it, why? Uh, whatever. Everyone do their own thing. Let use music as your release in whatever way you want. That's fine. 
but can we just find a better way? Well, there is something to be said. I mean, you, you make a good... Tony Tony is, agrees. I know. I, I do agree. I, I'm not a fan either. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It, uh, but yeah, it's... it's I don't know. I, I don't know if you can really blame it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I can I can understand why you would, and and I, it's, I'm not saying it's totally innocent, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. I don't know. It's important though to discuss that music can be an outlet for people who don't have outlets, right? Yeah. And so I know mosh pits are not for me either. Um, and, and they're not thinking of women when, like when they're like, let's do a mosh pit. No one's like thinking about like, uh, like a short woman. I'm just saying no one's thinking of me. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not a good place for you. You shouldn't go mosh pit dancing, but I'm saying the, all I'm saying is that, and I, is that music is a form of expression. And for some people, they, that don't have a lot of outlets to channel aggression, anger, frustration through music is a very healthy thing. Mm. Um, yeah, totally. Just don't do it by groping women. No, definitely totally. don't grope women. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I agree, Chris. It's like no shame to all of the yeah. alarmy listeners who love new metal. <laughs> love and respect. Or, or mosh pits or whatever. <laughs> or yeah. mosh pits. Yeah. I think, I think you're right about that. Look, you're right. You're right. Um, what about shitty festivals? Just fest, uh, music festivals in general. <laughs> Just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Who cares? <laughs> Take away Tony's livelihood. <laughs> no, I think I don't think we can send music festivals to uh, to jail for this one. And again, love and respect to all of the, you who love to go to um, music festivals. Yeah. Um, now, what are we thinking? I think we could wrap up Death of Kurt Cobain into late 90s anger and aggression. Sure. Yeah. I like sort that. Of ca- cause and effect in a way. So what we have left is John Schur, Michael Lang, the late, late 90s anger and aggression, and perhaps the white festival goers who were guys, um, and Nixon. <laughs> I think we could take Nixon off. <laughs> I forgot that was on the list. It was right in front of me and I was still ignoring it. Um, so what are we going to choose here? We need to pick uh, someone for the big slap and someone to go to the alarmist jail. Now, Tony, you said that you knew how you felt. And, and, uh, and this is narrowed down pretty much exactly how I wanted it to. Interesting. Um, Good. Uh, you, would you like me to to go I, ahead and speak I would on like, that? I would like. Yes, please okay. share your feelings. Uh, yeah, these are definitely the the two because I I fully think the producers are the most at fault. Uh, mm. pr- in particular, John Schur, uh, mm-hmm. just because he's he's constantly pointing the finger at somebody else. Um, yes. On so many occasions in that documentary, and yeah, he just seems terrible. And and again all of the things that we kind of lumped in with these, the producers, the poor planning and, and, and the peace patrol and all that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's absolutely, they're the number one fault for me. And yeah. Yeah. And then that's the, the, the dumb young white guys that were there. They didn't, I, I understand the situation was, was terrible. Uh, not ideal for anyone, but they didn't have to do the things that they did because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely agree. I think we do need to send the producers to, to jail. And 
I'm not happy with those uh, white festivals. I'm not happy letting them off the hook, those festival goers who actually did the rioting and actually did the mm-hmm. assault. I wish I could send them all, honestly. <laughs> to me, <laughs> because like, just leave. If the circumstances, I, I get, you spent 150 bucks on your ticket. Um, and, and but but if you go in there and... I don't know. I'm just like, we, we need to care about each other much more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you're there and you're witnessing these things, I know that you sometimes feel like you're just one small person. Like, what can I do? But like, if we just had that, men- all of us, more people had that mentality, then maybe these things wouldn't happen. We- maybe they wouldn't get so far. Maybe if we just like, <laughs> I I'm, I guess I'm promoting peace, love, <laughs> harmony. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm a dirty hippie with a hula hoop. (laughs) This girl, a hula hoop. (laughs) It's just really upsetting. Um, But, but I hear you. And I I think that's, I think that's the call. Um, I'm going to make it. Yeah. Late nineties, anger and aggression and, and the white guys who went to the festival, you're, you're getting the big slap. There's like a bunch of slaps. Cha, 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 cha. 300,000 slaps. (laughs) John Schur and Michael Lang, the producers, but with a a special underlying, underline under John Schur, you're going to the alarmist jail. Michael Lang gets to go into his alarmist jail prison cell. He gets to bring his guitar. He (laughs) he gets a couple special privileges that John Schur does not get. And his his hula hoop. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for Woodstock 99. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. After Woodstock 99, Woodstock 99 is regarded as a massive failure marred by widespread sexual assault, riots, arson, and even death. Despite the disastrous outcome, Michael Lang planned for another anniversary edition, Woodstock 50, to take place in 2019. Mere weeks before the scheduled festival, it was canceled due to a series of unforeseen setbacks. In the words of the legendary David Crosby, a veteran of the original festival who was set to play at Woodstock 50, quote, you can't magic one of these Woodstocks into happening citing money as the prime motivation of the concert organizers. Quote, that's a grubby way to start. It's not a motivation that brings out the very best in people. Woodstock 99 was nothing if not proof of that. is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we're discussing the death of versace
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 